All right, well, good morning again, and we are still in our study on the life of Abraham and the life of faith, and we've been looking at this now for several messages. I think we're number 12 now in the series, and we're in chapter 18 and part 2. Last week, we were in this chapter, and we were looking at uh, chapter 18 of Genesis is how Abraham ministers to others. And we were talking about that last week, about how we ought to minister to others. And last time we looked at the first part of this, which uh, was 1 to 8 in the verses of of Genesis 18. And it was how Abraham ministered to the Lord. And you never know when you may minister directly to the Lord or to angels unawares. We kind of ended there talking about that last week. And then the second part of this chapter... He ministers to his wife, and that's where we're going to be today, and that's in Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 to 15. And then the third part, and hopefully we'll get to that, it may be after Easter, I'm not sure, but we're going to look at how he ministered to a lost world, a world of sin, and a world of sinners, and we're going to look at that. Before we read scripture this morning, let us look to the author of the book and ask him to open our hearts. God, we are grateful this morning that we can... Tune our hearts toward heaven. Thank you, O Lord, that you are the one that came to our world. And you're the one that ministered to us first. And Lord, as we just open up again this morning to receive your word, that you would give us clear thoughts and help us in obedience to follow you, O Lord. Help us to be better at what we do as Christians And Lord, as you work your work also in people that maybe are strangers to you, even today, that many would come to saving faith in Christ and would fully understand those things. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who works in us and through us and seals us onto the day of redemption. And we pray today he might have his way in our hearts, in our lives, in our church here, among our families, in our world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son." But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. And this little passage of scripture, as we look at it, um, it's an interesting passage because it deals with, uh, well, a husband and wife relationship. And we see here, and coupled with the rest of scripture that comments on this, where it was really one of those times in the life of Abraham and Sarah where God was going to minister to them and he was going to specifically use Abraham to minister to his wife, who at this point was, well, she laughed in unbelief is really what was going on. We know that because the Lord rebukes her 
for her laughter, uh, feeling that it was well, not feeling, but seeing that it was a, a laughter that again, it just she didn't believe that this was possible. And there are those things that come, aren't they? That sometimes we think are impossible things. Now, Sarah was 89 years old at this time. And I would dare say that if I stood up in a nursing home somewhere today, where you might have people up in their late 80s or 90s or older, and you said, oh, by the way, uh, some of you ladies are going to conceive and have a child, they probably would laugh at me, you know. Um, and they, they would, because it's just something so bizarre and unnatural at that stage of life that you would not think it possible unless you believed God and remember, God had reaffirmed his covenant several times to Abram and Abraham here, as his name had been changed, and had reaffirmed it, saying, you would indeed bear a son, and that son would come through Sarah, your wife. Now the clock has been ticking, and it's well past. It even says here, she was past childbearing age. Those days were long ago, and it was not something that was even on the radar. And yet... God was going to do something which was the impossible. I don't know if you have any impossible situations in your life right now. Anything that, that just kind of stands out like that. I, I, I don't, it may not be something like having a child in your old age, but it may be another impossible situation that you think, humanly speaking, there's just no way that any of this could ever happen or, or be answered. And I can just say this, try God. <laughs> because God delights in the the very fact that we trust him by faith and he is able to do things when there is no other way and God is able to do that and we see that in this chapter in this chapter and we're going to go to several passages in the new testament where it specifically talks about Sarah and Abraham and I want to say this as we look at it though in Genesis chapter 18 here you see a wife that is sort of well she's she's not believing God Um, I can just say that, that that isn't necessarily relegated to just the wife. Sometimes the husband is the one that doesn't believe God. Sometimes all of us come to a place where we're not trusting the Lord. And we're not pleasing the Lord because it's impossible to please the Lord without faith. And he wants us to have faith in him. The great thing about a marriage, and, and the Bible talks about this in the book of Ephesians, is that the husband and wife, when things are, are done right in the home and Christ is the head of that home and the husband is following Christ and the wife is following her husband in that spiritual leadership in the home, then things work out and we actually will provoke one another to trust the Lord further. Marriage is good that way when it's a healthy marriage based upon the Lord being in the center of it. And we see that in Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 5 and this is a passage of scripture where sometimes people think well this is a little old-fashioned well I'll tell you what it worked because God's the one that instituted it and it goes way back to the book of Genesis and in we see it even here in Abraham's life but here in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians Paul writes this he says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord there's a ministry for the wife Uh, which is submitting to the Lord, but it's through her husband. I know, again, that sounds a little old-fashioned, doesn't it, in our world where nobody wants to submit to anybody. And yet, done right, it really works. And it produces a healthier home for that. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, these are talking about roles, not talking about equality as far as uh, value, of one greater than the other, or those things, but roles. And don't forget that. One of the things that our enemy Satan would like to do is to change the roles of man and woman, boys and girls, and others, to try to cloud that somehow or do away with it and in doing so you actually cause well people not to go towards the lord it's actually a sign of not civilization but of the undoing of civilization because the basis of all civilization way back there in the book of genesis in the beginning was man and woman in a marriage and they had roles within that marriage and don't settle for something less And I say that in kindness, very sensitive topic today in our world and even in our news this week with corporations that are deciding to redefine these things. And I'll leave it for them to discuss those things and the politics of it. But I'll say this, at the heart of it is really man and woman wanting to disobey God. Because if we we don't want him over us, we won't want anybody over us. Here, the husband is the head of the wife, but also as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body, talking about Christ. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, now this is the, you guys, you aren't off the hook. This is even harder, all right? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That verse right there, I think, is the centerpiece to this whole passage on teaching. That there should be an unconditional love of a husband to his wife in such the the same way that Christ loved the church. And how much did he love the church? He gave himself for her. Not just in walking this earth, but in death. He died to save us from our sins and thus gathering to himself a wife spiritually. Well, the spiritual union and the physical union of a man and a woman in marriage is a picture of the union that christ has with his church and it is to the glory of god and that's what it's about back there in genesis 18 there was some some problems going on sarah didn't believe what abraham did all right back in chapter 17 abraham believes god and he didn't always perfectly believe, but he believed there. And he laughed in, in joyous laughter. It was different. He was like, oh, can you imagine? You know? But you know, nothing's impossible for God. We do that, right? We laugh and we do that. But when it comes to Sarah, she's laughing in disbelief. And yet that wouldn't be the commentary of her life. And we'll come back to that. Now this is the point. In this chapter of Ephesians chapter 5, talks about Christ giving his life for her. In, chat, in verse 26, this is the reason. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Do you know one of the great ministries that's found in a home is that a husband should be spiritually leading his wife. So that if she comes to a point like Sarah, who has some unbelief, you know how you correct unbelief? You with the word of God. That's how you do it. And he should be reaffirming those things. And you know, I can say this from practical experience as well. It's not always the, that way either. That it, sometimes it's the wife that needs to remind the husband of the word of God. 
They're both in submission to Christ. They're both in submission to God and his word. And it's a mutual kind of respect in that way of reaffirming faith with one another and bringing someone along in that journey. And that's the way it should be. It isn't always that way, is it? Sometimes a marriage, even in a Christian marriage, can be unhealthy in that the husband, maybe, or the wife is always tearing down or bringing down that person and they're not stirring up faith in one another. That's wrong and it's sin. And a marriage should be based upon him, the Lord, and each other in their roles and the word of God. Look what it says here. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. You know, one of the things that Abraham had to deal with back in his home is this idea of of Sarah not being, she was not believing God at this point. He had to stir that up in her again. And the Lord was going to show that he indeed could do the impossible. The Bible says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. One of the great things that the Lord does is that he sets us apart. He sanctifies us. The word for sanctification or sanctify in the Greek is hagazio, and it means to sanctify or to make one holy. Done right in a husband-wife relationship, one should make the other holier. Now, sometimes we get the wrong impression of what holiness is, you know, probably because of the things that sometimes people call themselves holy and they're not, right? Maybe you dress certain ways or you lock yourself up in a monastery somewhere or wherever else and you say, that must be holiness. Well, it, it, somebody may be holy. It doesn't necessarily depend on what they, the way they dress or where they're living and those things, but the strange is not necessarily holy, okay? Sometimes it's unholy. And I will say it this way, that what God wants is a heart that is in tune with him and that is a heart of faith. Because that's what he wants. He wants us to trust him at a heart level and that should produce in the outward. And someone mentioned this morning to me, all we have is the outward to look upon, isn't it? And we don't see in the heart, but God sees the heart, doesn't he? And I'll tell you this, that the relationship of Sarah and Abraham needed to produce holiness in both their lives. Because left to their own devices, it would be less than that, wouldn't it? And holiness is simply this, that we're made more like God. That's what holiness is about. See, he's perfectly holy. And we're sinners. And we're not holy. And we need someone to make us holy. By the way, you won't get that only from a wife or a husband. All right, The holiness first is produced by a relationship with Jesus Christ as we repent from our sins and trust him by faith. And he declares us righteous. And he produces righteousness in our life. That's the the steps of holiness. Marriage should make you more holy. Shouldn't be the other way around. And we see that in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And they're people to model our lives on as well. Back there in... Uh, Genesis, and again, we, we read of, of this account. He ministers to his wife. Um, by doing so, because he first ministered to the Lord, that's the opening verses we talked about last week, and then he ministers to his wife, he was also able to minister to his whole family. God is for the family, by the way. And if you don't have a blood family around you, you have the family of God, the people of the uh, uh, Christians. And I, I say that because... We don't all have 
the same kind of thing. Sometimes you may be in a broken home or had that in your past and all those. And I'll just say God is still able to work in a very special way in that. In Genesis 18, 19, a few verses on, we have this commentary. For I have known him in order that he may command his children. This is the Lord speaking, right? He says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. You know, God had a purpose in the wife and husband roles and the marriage relationship to produce in the offspring righteousness. You know that? And a healthy marriage should do that. And one that is centered on the Lord. First and foremost, the children would know the Lord. And they would follow him. And I understand every child has their own will and they have to come to that decision themselves. No one can make that for them. But I will say this, that when you have things right in the home, it makes it a whole lot easier, doesn't it? The Lord said of Abraham that he says, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord. That should be our first prayer request for our children. Not that they have a successful job or they have good health even. I want that for my kids. I want them to do the most with this life that they can do and leave this world a better place. I think all parents want that. But the first and foremost thing is should they should know the way of the Lord. And if they don't follow the Lord, that they at least saw that way modeled in my life. Albeit never perfectly Abraham wasn't perfect in his ways but as a man of faith he followed him and he had those footsteps and that ought to be something as we go out of this world those that do come behind us do follow in those footprints that we leave then they should point to the cross they should point to the way of the Lord to do righteousness I like that to do righteousness not just be righteous but to do it If we had more people doing righteousness in our world today, in our country today, in our community today, it'd be a different world. By the way, we would probably need a whole lot less law enforcement. I'm a big supporter of law enforcement, that's for sure. But wouldn't it be a great world? And I don't want to have anybody lose their job. But I'm saying a great world where you didn't have to have all the law enforcement present you do, presence you do today. Because people follow the law because they're righteous. Imagine that. We don't live in that kind of world. And you better be thankful for those that have to enforce man's laws and do so to keep civil order in our society. We should be ones that model justice, modeling what is right before God and doing that. That the Lord may bring Abraham, bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. There was a reward for Abraham in following him. We know Sarah, again, if you only had Genesis chapter 18 in those verses that we read in that section on Sarah, we kind of say, oh, poor Sarah. She didn't really follow the Lord. You know, we're just going to leave her there as a woman of no faith. But that's not the case. She was a woman of faith. And I would promote to you or get you to think of this, that I believe her husband helped 
her walk of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comments on on Sarah, puts her in the hall of faith. This chapter 11, which is all these examples of people who walk by faith. Look what it says in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. How'd she receive strength? Did she start exercising all of a sudden at age 89 and all of a sudden she became fertile again? No, she received strength by faith. Her body was able to become fruitful once more at age 89, age 90 when she would have her child. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. What did she do? She judged him faithful who had promised. When God promised the first time here, she laughs. Oh, can you imagine? Come on. But then she realizes, yes, he's able. And you know, that's the commentary of her life. And that's the great thing. You may find that you maybe have made some mistakes in this journey of faith and, this, and some sin in your life. Maybe there's some things even people remind you of. People are real good about that. Sometimes we remind ourselves and we walk around. But you know, in heaven, the testimony of God is that they walked by faith and they were justified by faith. Our sin is not brought up. Our unbelief is not brought up in heaven. That's from his perspective. And he's finished the work in us already. Yield yourselves to him. Peter also comments and uses Sarah and Abraham as an example in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same kind of teaching as what Paul does in this issue of a marriage relationship. He says, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. You know, it's possible that a a godly wife who is in a relationship with a husband that is not a believer, she may indeed win him to the Lord because she walks with God. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, that's reverence, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Now, Peter here doesn't say, don't do anything with the outward. You know, we know that that has to happen. I, I'm sure most of you ladies had to come to church today with, with makeup and other things, you know, and all that. I don't know. I'm not going to go look closely. I just say, uh, and I'll get in trouble, but if the barn needs painting, paint the barn, right? And that's what they say. Uh, I'm in trouble. All right, never mind. You ladies can go out now. That's it, no. But he doesn't say, but that should not be only. That should not be only. You know where the true beauty of a woman lies? underneath all that and it lies in her heart in her conduct oh if the world would understand that because think about what we call beauty today in our magazines and in online and the influencers who are out there and they're all dolled up and the outside is really pretty but the inside is dead and dangerous it's the worst kind of poison by the way And that's what some men are chasing after today. And you'll never find satisfaction. And you'll never be producing righteousness if you're only looking on the outside. By the way, Sarah was a pretty woman. We know that from chapter 20 of Genesis. She was very pretty. In her old age, she was stunning. That's the way I would comment on it. I don't know what she looked like, but that's how... That was the concern Abraham had, Abraham had for his wife. She was still very pretty. 
And I'll say this, that there is a beauty about women who walk with the Lord that is an inner beauty that, that really comes out in that way. And anyways, he goes on to say this, Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. The word precious there means valuable. Valuable. Think of all the, you know, things we do to try to adorn the outward, right? Um, Men and women. We put a lot of value in things like jewelry and other things and it's really the inner man, the inner woman that speaks of the richness of who God is. For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that's from Genesis chapter 18. The word Lord meaning master. Showing that her heart was submissive to her husband. Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them or dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean that she is not able to think more or all those things. That the word weaker essentially means this that she is the softer one. And women are, generally speaking. They're the ones that have a much more emotional heart, and that's good. We need that, men. And they're the ones that honestly are weaker physically and i i'm sorry i'm saying that in a world where we we can't say that anymore right but generally speaking and i'm not saying always because there are exceptions but generally speaking uh, a woman cannot lift what a man lifts or run as fast or those kind of things and some brute of a man coming into a relationship with a wife he should not exercise himself like that like he would with other men be soft, be gentle with your wives, right? Be careful with them. Show faith in your restrained heart to not just lord over them, but to allow you yourself to be the spiritual master of that home and in doing so strengthening. Because we know that often it's a woman that carries much more in the home as far as responsibilities and other things Often that's the way it is. And you men wouldn't be able to do it. (laughs) And I know that. As being what? Heirs together. A lot of problems today in marriage is this. That one is doing this and one is doing that. And they're not doing it together. And I am thankful. I will say this publicly. I do. I am so thankful for my wife. She has made me so much a better man. And some of you guys wonder. Wow. Keep working. But you know what? (laughs) Listen, if I have any money in the bank, it's because I have a wife that can, can enable me to go out and do stuff, you know? If, if I have any success in things, I have a wife who has been right behind me who prods me on and says, you can do it. And she's done so, so graciously, and she's provoked faith in my life. And that's why she's so young and beautiful, too. <laughs> and I mean that. God is good, and I'm thankful for that. Abraham had a wife that, though she stumbled in unbelief, she did not stay there. She submitted to him and said, yes, I do believe. God is able, isn't he? Romans chapter 4, verse 18. 
Paul writes here, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. That's Abraham. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old. And listen, if you're 100 years old, you know, you don't plan for retirement at age 100. You should have already done that years before, right? You're at that age that, hey, you know, every day I'm alive is a, is a day that, you know, I'm, I'm not in the grave. That's how people often look at that. And I don't mean that to say, if I get to 100, I want to live to 101, you know. But I'll say this, that Abraham was old, 100 years old, and he had robbed the cradle with an 80 or 90-year-old, okay? So you know that. Look what it says here. And oh, back to this one. And it says, the deadness of Sarah's womb. Her womb was, in all essence, dead in the sense that she could not produce any offspring from, for, for Abraham. And yet, God was going to breathe life into the deadness of a womb. Really speaks of what he does with us, isn't it? Do you know that you were dead in trespasses and sins? And there was no way you could produce spiritual fruit in your life. It's, the Bible says the best of our works are like filthy rags. They're unfruitful. They're filthy. They're dirty. That's our best of works. We need someone who can come in and breathe life into that dead sinner. And that's what God does. He comes and the Holy Spirit convicts and he illuminates and he brings uh, that stirring of faith and then you have a choice to say yes lord or or no lord and if you'll say yes lord he's promised that you will be born again the new birth isn't that great the new birth you who were dead in trespasses and sins can now be made alive with him and that was physically seen with abraham and sarah but it can be spiritually seen with every single one who will believe and trust Christ as their Savior. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross and his life blood slipped out of him, they said, he's done. He's dead. He's gone. It's impossible to bring somebody back to life, right? And yet Jesus said he was going to do that. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. That which was impossible dead a dead body coming back to life do you know you might say i have loved ones that have died in the faith i have others and someday i'm going to die that is a that is a fact of of life death will visit you somehow and i will say this that there's nothing impossible for god and if you trust the lord jesus christ as your savior he's promised to raise up your body to be reunited again with your soul and spirit in heaven forever humanly speaking that's impossible no it isn't not with God God is able he was able to do this with Sarah and with Abraham he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he what he had promised he was also able to perform see that's the testimony of you know centuries later of god saying this is what was going on in the heart of abraham and also the heart of sarah in uh, hebrews 11 and we see that well 
That question of, in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is an unequivocal no, right? Absolutely not. Do you know that that message appears over and over in Scripture? God delights in doing the impossible because it makes much of him and little of us. (laughs) See, if we could somehow say, I saved myself or I did it myself, we wouldn't give God the glory. But instead, we give him the glory because he's the only one that can regenerate a dead sinner. He's the only one that can breathe life into something that is dead in trespasses and sins and cannot exercise that toward him. And he's the one who can, he can raise us up. He can do that. Job chapter 42, verse 2, the oldest book of the Bible, Job says this, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. God is sovereign and there is nothing he cannot do. Jeremiah chapter 32 in verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. You know, God made everything. He's the creator. He spoke it into existence. Then he says, there is nothing too hard for you. Nothing. So whatever your need is today, trust me, it's not too big for God. He's bigger yet. Jeremiah 32 27 behold I am the Lord the God of all flesh is there anything too hard for me the answer is no there isn't how about Luke's gospel remember the the story of the incarnation that God would put on flesh and become a man that sounds like it's impossible how could that happen well that's exactly what he did Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. She's a virgin, okay? And I may not have always paid attention to biology class, but I do know enough about biology that that if a woman has not known a man sexually, that there's no way she's going to get pregnant, okay? She's a virgin. And the angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? By the way, why argue with an angel? Some have tried to cast doubt on Mary and say, well, you know, Mary just playing the part, you know. No, she had not known a man. And it wouldn't do you any good to argue with the angel over that. Angel would know. She did not know a man. That's impossible, you say. No, not with God. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. Well, the relationship of Abraham and Sarah demonstrates for us that God is able and he's powerful. And I hope that whatever, as I said before, you're facing today, maybe that you think it's an impossible situation, 
We'll just delight in the fact that he can resolve it in accordance with his will. Let's pray. God, we are grateful again for your word. We're grateful, Lord, for the promises found here. And we even now ask, O Lord, that you would just delight to work in our lives as we yield ourselves by faith to you. Lord, first and foremost, for salvation, if that's necessary for for those that have not asked you to be their Savior, that today they might do so, realizing that even if they think they're the greatest of sinners, you still are able to save. Because your grace and the scope of that grace is greater than any sin. And Lord, I pray also for those of us who are, are Christians, or are followers of you, that we believe that even today we provoke one another to trust you more and to walk by faith and thus please you. And we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.